Well, I've always enjoyed watching wildlife documentaries about a variety of animals. Actually, uh, when our kids were younger, me and the kids would uh, usually watch a wildlife documentary every Saturday morning. Now, as much as I enjoy those documentaries about various animals, at the, the same time, I do not understand those people who feel, who feel comfortable getting close to all these dangerous animals that they, that they put in these documentaries. Uh, animals like bears or tigers or snakes or those people who would go swimming with sharks to get the films and the, the photos needed to put these documentaries together that I so enjoy from the, the comfort of my own couch. Now, I think most people, certainly not all people, but I think most people probably feel the way I do when it comes to dangerous animals. Most people are afraid. They don't want to be close to these animals. I mean, it's not just dangerous animals. I bet if I was to take a poll, about half of you in this room are afraid of harmless little spiders. Now, what makes those wildlife photographers and those filmmakers different? What makes them different? I think it's that they've developed a deep love and respect for these dangerous animals that they go and spend time with, that they get close to, that they take pictures and videos of. I actually read an interview with some wildlife photographers from uh, National Geographic, that, the famous magazine, and this is what a couple of them said. One said, I have laughed with, wept for, and been bitten, mauled, and saved by harp seals. I get a catch in my throat talking about them. Now, I'm not 100% sure what a harp seal is, but I'm pretty sure I would not get a catch in my throat or come close to crying for an animal that had bitten me and mauled me. This is what another said. I could be in the presence of leopards every minute of each day. The moments I spent with this mother and daughter leopard were a lesson in caring and compassion. Their attention to each other, as if nothing else mattered, was part of the love affair I started feeling for all leopards. I had no choice but to become an ambassador for leopards. Now look, I think leopards are beautiful. They are amazing animals. But there is no way that I'd feel comfortable in their presence for even one second of the day, much less every second of the day. But what these photographers were describing was the deep love and respect that they had come to have for certain animals, even animals that could kill them, ones that could maul them and bite them. It was not that they did not recognize the danger of the animals, it was that despite this, they had a, a love for those animals that caused them to want to draw near to them to not run away, to know more about them, to be close to them. Now, brothers and sisters, that type of love is something like what the Bible means by the fear of the Lord. The right and proper fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God, but it's marked by a desire to draw near to God, to be in the presence of God. The famous pastor of the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, said this about the right fear of God. He said, the right fear of God leans towards the Lord. It is the sort of fear which has in it the very essence of love, and without which there would be no joy even in the presence of God. Well, like those wildlife photographers, recognize the power and even danger of the animals that they film and that they take photos of. A right fear of the Lord recognizes God's transcendent majesty. It recognizes his greatness. It recognizes his beauty. And Michael Reeves, in his short little book, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? We actually have it back there in the library if you want it later. I'll quote from it a few times in this sermon. Well, he writes this about a proper fear of the Lord. The living God is infinitely perfect and overwhelmingly beautiful in every way. 
And so we do not love him rightly if our love is not a trembling, overwhelmed, and fearful love. In a sense, then, the trembling fear of God is a way of speaking about the intensity of our love for God. True fear of God is true love for God defined. This morning, we're going to be considering the theme of the fear of the Lord from the book of Proverbs. This topic has been present throughout our study of Proverbs. It's basically come up every week as the fear of the Lord is the only true path to wisdom. It's the only true path to holiness. But this morning, we're going to put a microscope on what Proverbs has to say about the fear of the Lord. So I have three points to help us consider this topic. Uh, the first is that the fear of the Lord leads to wisdom. The fear of the Lord leads to wisdom. Second, the fear of the Lord leads to holiness. And then third, the fear of the Lord leads to life. So first, the fear of the Lord leads to wisdom. In fact, from, from Proverbs, we might not just say that it's the fear of the Lord that, that leads to wisdom. Uh, the fear of the Lord is virtually synonymous with wisdom in Proverbs. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One, or the knowledge of God, is understanding. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. Friends, it is the, the fear of the Lord that is both the beginning of knowledge and it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. That is really to say that there can be no true wisdom apart from God. As we saw during our, our first week in our study of, of Proverbs, it's the Lord himself who gives wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Uh, friends, uh, a fear of the Lord begins with recognizing that it is God who gives wisdom. And therefore, we must seek him if we are to find it. Fear of the Lord is to recognize that you are not wise in and of yourself. You need the wisdom of God. Now, the obvious application of that truth is that if God is the source of wisdom, that we must turn to his revelation of himself if we are to become wise. We must turn to his word. To say it even more bluntly, if you truly fear the Lord, if you love him with that trembling fear that Michael Reeves wrote about, you will turn to his word. You will desire to draw near. You will desire to know more of God. To, to long to hear the, the words, just like you long to hear the words of, of those you love, whether it's a call of a, of a relative back in your home country. Well, you'll delight to hear the, the words of the God that you love. The Bible does not just give principles for wise living. It reveals who God is. And those who fear the Lord have a desire to know him more. Friends, like those wildlife photographers came to love harp seals and, and leopards as they came to know them more, so the fear of the Lord, the love of the Lord, comes by knowing him more. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Friends, fear of the Lord is a desire to know God more and then the corresponding love that comes from knowing him more. It keeps, up, it keeps building on himself. You come to know him more, which makes you love him more. You love him more, so you want to know him more. And it just keeps going and going. That's the picture that the Bible presents. Again, to go back to Michael Reeves, he writes, There are two sorts of right fear of God. There is the fear of God, the creator. And then there is the fear of God, the redeemer in Christ. The first sort of right fear, fear of God, the creator, 
is the trembling response to God as creator. It appreciates that God is splendid in his transcendence. God is holy, majestic, perfect, all-powerful, and dazzling in all his perfections. This fear considers the creator and is left staggered, like David asking, what is man that you are mindful of him? In the light of God's eternal magnificence, self-existence, and unswerving constancy, this fear feels what fleeting and fickle little things we are. That trembling fear is the right reaction to the creator. The holiness of the sovereign Lord is tremendous, vivid, and dazzling. Not to fear him would be blind foolishness. In the splendor of the creator's majesty, we should be abased. In the brightness of his purity, we should be ashamed. Friends, where do we go to understand that God? Where do we go to learn about that God, to to see his majesty as the creator? Well, certainly we can come from, from seeing the world around us. But friends, it primarily comes through his word. Or I think what Reeves helpfully points out is that we will not rightly fear God as creator unless we know him as God the Redeemer in Christ. In other words, unless we come to have personal and saving faith in Jesus Christ. And friends, that only comes through God's word. Before his conversion, the the great reformer Martin Luther came to hate God. Before he was converted, he was a Catholic monk who strove day after day to obey God, to live up to God's standard of holiness, to stay on his good side. And that's really what Catholicism teaches, that it is our works in conjunction with Jesus that save But that kind of pressure, trying to live up to God's standards, led Luther to hate God. He knew God hated sin, and yet he knew he was a sinner and did not live up to God's standard of holiness. He recognized the problem of his sin, but he didn't know what to do about it. So he simply lived in dread of God. He found God harsh. It was not until Luther came to understand that God's love displayed in Jesus... It was not until he came to understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and not a result of his own efforts, that he came to love God. It was at that point that that Martin Luther was converted. His dread of God turned to a love of God as, as he realized that he did not have to measure up because Jesus measured up in his place. Jesus lived the life that he was unable to live. He no longer had to fear God as judge because Jesus had died in his place, taking the wrath of God in his place. And God, in his kindness, by his grace, gave him salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, friends, sinful fear of the Lord, the, the dread that Luther had, leads it to, to a desire to flee from the Lord. It leads to a, a hatred of the Lord and his authority and his instructions. Proverbs 1.7, fools despise wisdom and discipline. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, fools may have plenty of what we might call common sense or worldly wisdom. They might have all sorts of academic knowledge. But they're fools because they do not seek to know the one who is the source of all wisdom. They re- reject Jesus who is the wisdom of God. Again, it's the knowledge of the Holy One that is understanding. It's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Friends, those who do not know God as Redeemer and Savior cannot and do not have an accurate view of God. At best, like Luther, they may see God as a a lawgiver, as a judge, as as a harsh ruler. They may feel like they're under God's thumb, that he's keeping them down. It's this view that sees Christianity as simply a, a list of do's and don'ts that you have to follow in order to stay on God's good side. 
It's to be afraid of God's wrath and his judgment because you have no experience of his love. Friends, it's, it's only when you come to know God's abundant mercy, his abundant compassion, and his abundant grace is expressed in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you can truly have a loving and trembling fear of God. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, Christians are are those who have a personal relationship with God as their loving and compassionate father. It's those who've experienced his redeeming love. They've had their sins forgiven and they've been adopted into his family. They've experienced the riches of his mercy and his grace. They have been overwhelmed by God's goodness to them. Friends, true fear of God does not simply come from seeing God as the majestic and and sovereign creator. Though it does do that. But it comes by seeing God as the good and patient and kind and compassionate and loving and forgiving and merciful and gracious and beautiful God who sent his one and only son to pay the penalty for your sins at the cross. Friends, when you are gripped by that truth, when God floods your heart with his amazing grace, how can you do anything but tremble in love at this great God? How can you do anything but bow in thanksgiving before your gracious God? And friends, that is true fear of the Lord. That is what it means to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And friends, second, the, the fear of the Lord also leads to Holiness. You might actually say that holiness is the evidence of whether you truly do fear the Lord. So listen to these Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs eight thirteen. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. Proverbs sixteen six. Iniquity is atoned for by loyalty and faithfulness, and one turns from evil by the fear of the Lord. Friends, you cannot both fear the Lord and continue in a life of sin. You cannot fear the Lord and continue in a life of sin. Salvation in Jesus Christ comes through repentance and faith. Repentance means to turn from evil. It means to turn away from evil. It's to turn in faith and in loving Jesus to simultaneously turn away from evil. As we turn to love Jesus and fear Jesus, we turn away from evil. That is what repentance means. That means, as you read through the book of Proverbs, as we've read through the book of Proverbs for these last few weeks, that that these individual Proverbs that we find so much throughout the book, they serve as something of a spiritual thermometer that measure your relationship with the Lord. So when you disobey, when you're angry or you're, you're proud, you're discontent, well, it shows that at least in that moment you are not fearing the Lord. Now, obedience, on the other hand, is evidence, though certainly not conclusive evidence. But obedience is evidence that you do fear the Lord. Now, we can be rule followers without loving the Lord. I mean, that's what Martin Luther was, was seeking to be. But generally, obedience is correlated with a fear of the Lord. 
We might go a step further and say joyful obedience is correlated with a fear of the Lord. Psalm 112, verse 1. Happy is the person who fears the Lord, taking great delight in his commands. I'd say great delight in obedience to his commands. Now, friends, the, the fear of the Lord leads to holiness because those who fear the Lord delight to obey the Lord. The Lord's commands are, are not a, a burden to them. And they recognize that his commands are given out of his love for them. They are given for his good. They obey out of hearts of love, not simply a desire to avoid punishment. And friends, truly love is the only lasting motivation for obedience. Fear, intimidation only gets one so far. Obeying out of love is the the only lasting motivation for obedience. Friends, the, the truth is that your actions and your attitudes, they reveal what you fear. And what you fear reveals what you love. Your actions and your attitudes, well, they reveal what you fear. And what you fear reveals what you love. That is because you fear to lose what you love the most. We fear to lose what we love the most. So think back to the the sermon series through Exodus, if you were here for that sermon series through Exodus. God rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt. He did it through ten miraculous, awe-inspiring plagues. Totally supernatural. Nobody could give credit to anybody what the Lord for for them. But as soon as they were delivered from Egypt, as they journeyed towards the Red Sea, they turned back and they saw Pharaoh and his armies pursuing them. And what did they do? They feared. They desired to go back to Egypt instead of going ahead and serving the Lord. The nation of Israel feared Pharaoh more than they feared the Lord. And what they feared revealed what they loved. They, uh, they loved their own comfort more than they loved God. They loved the security of knowing where their next meal would come from or what their next day would hold, even if that day was hard labor, slavery in Egypt. But they loved that more than they loved and trusted the Lord. They were, un- they were afraid of the uncertainty of following the Lord into the wilderness. They loved their safety and their security more than they loved the Lord. On the other hand, think of of Polycarp, who I've mentioned before, a famous figure from early in church history. Polycarp was one of the first martyrs of the church, one of the first killed for his faith. He was burned at the stake, burned alive for his faith by the Roman Empire. Now, after Polycarp was arrested, but before he was burned at the stake, a Roman official told him that his life would be spared. He would not have to suffer being burned at the stake if he would simply renounce his faith. If he would disown Jesus, say, no, that's fine. I'm going to worship the emperor instead. This is what Polycarp said in response. Eighty and six years, or eighty-six years, I have served him, meaning God, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season, and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Friends, Polycarp feared the Lord more than he feared his own comfort. He loved the Lord more than he loved his own comfort. He feared the Lord more than he feared the burning at the stake that was going to come from the Roman Empire. Friends, your your actions and attitudes reveal your fears, and your fears reveal that which you love. Friends, if you love your, your life and your safety, and your comfort more than the Lord. You will never obey the Lord when it might cost you some earthly comfort, or earthly good, or earthly relationship. 
Friends, you'll only follow the Lord when it is easy. Friends, Jesus said his disciples are those who take up their cross and follow Jesus. They are those who are willing to share in the sufferings of Christ because they will also share in his glory when he returns. Friends, if your greatest fear is that your circumstances will never change and life will always look like it does now, you will be willing to do anything to include sin to improve your life now. Your circumstances, not the Lord's commands, will drive your behavior. doesn't mean it is wrong to seek a change of circumstance. But if you're seeking to find contentment in the Lord, as we thought about last week, you will convince yourself that you, if you're not seeking, excuse me, to find your contentment in the Lord, as we thought about last week, you'll convince yourself that you cannot be content unless you get a new job, or unless you're able to move to a new country, or unless you're able to get married, or unless you fill in the blank anything else. Friends, that attitude and belief simply reveals that you love your comfort more than the Lord. That you're seeking your satisfaction in the things of this world and not the Lord. On the flip side, if your greatest fear is losing what you have, you'll never be generous with what you do have. You'll never be generous towards others. You'll be willing to do anything, including sin, to hold on to your job. You'll never do anything that could in any way possibly jeopardize your position. Like letting somebody know you're a Christian. Sharing the gospel boldly. Friends, whatever you're afraid to lose reveals what you love. If your greatest fear is criticism or the negative opinion of others, you're simply saying that you love the approval that comes from others more than you love the approval that comes from God. You'll be consumed by pleasing others. You'll be consumed about what they think of you instead of being consumed by seeking to please the Lord. You'll replay over and over again in your mind your interactions throughout the day instead of resting in the Lord, meditating on his word, and seeking him in prayer. You'll rarely confess your sins and and ask forgiveness because maintaining your image will be more important than obeying the Lord. Friends, the the point is that, that when you sin, each and every time you sin, there is something in your life that you are fearing more than the Lord. Each time you sin, there is something in your life that you are fearing more than the Lord. There's something that you are loving more than the Lord, at least at the moment in which you sin. At least at the moment in which you sin, that is true. One, when you are committing a sin, there's, there's some idol that has replaced God on the throne of your life. And that's why one commentator on Proverbs summarized the teaching of the book of Proverbs in this way. It says, the choice between wisdom and folly... So we've seen that, right? There's, there's two paths we can follow. Proverbs presents two paths, the path of wisdom and the path of foolishness. And he writes, the choice between wisdom and folly is in fact a life or death choice between Yahweh, the true God, and idols. My friends, Proverbs is not just about making good or bad decisions. It's about choosing between Jesus and something else. The fear of the Lord leads to holiness. Now, friends, this reality is why sinful people, why you and why me, require a heart change in order to fear the Lord. Our hearts must be changed. What we love must change. Our affections must change. The sinful nature in which we are all born fears anything and everything else more than the Lord. It loves anything and everything more than the Lord. The the only fear of the Lord it is capable of is a sinful fear that wants to run and hide from the Lord in the same way that Adam and Eve ran from God and hid from God in the Garden of Eden. To quote Michael Reeves again, simply changing our habits will not change what we love or hate. 
Simply changing our habits will not change what we love or hate. What we need is a profound change of heart so that we want and love differently. We need the Holy Spirit to bring about a fundamental change in us, and he does this through the gospel, which preaches Christ. Only the preaching of Christ can turn a heart to fear God with loving, trembling adoration. Only then, when your heart is turned toward God, will you want to fight to turn your behavior toward him. Only when your heart is turned to the Lord will you want your behavior to please the Lord, is another way to say that. Friends, the the fear of the Lord is a work of the Lord. The Holy Spirit must change your heart. Friends, if you are a Christian, this is a work that God has already begun. He has come in and radically changed the affections of your heart. Now, certainly that does not mean that you will never sin again, but it does mean that if you're a Christian, the normal posture of your heart should be to hate evil. If you're a Christian, the normal posture of your heart should be to hate evil. You should hate it when you sin. When you sin, it should bother you. You should be eager to confess and repent of your sin, to to change and please the Lord. Your desire should be for the Lord, to grow to be more like him, to restore a relationship with the Lord and with others when you have sinned against them and him. Now, friends, this is a a lifelong process. Because we are sinners, those attitudes are not always present. But generally, the longer you're a Christian, the more your heart should hate evil. Because the more your heart should love God. Friends, God does not leave you alone in this work. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and gave you a new heart when you were saved is still at work in you. So to quote the book of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Friends, pray that God would work by his spirit in your life to continue to fan the flames of your love for him. That he would expose the things that you are tempted to fear and to love more than him. That he would lead you to hate evil, to flee from evil, to pursue him. Friends, pray that he would lead you to delight in his commands. And then friends, cooperate with God in that effort. Remove the temptations from your life. Strive to obey the Lord. Turn to his word. Gather with his people. Pray for one another. Friends, the the fear of the Lord is the path of wisdom. The fear of the Lord leads to holiness. And finally, this, this path of holiness, this path of wisdom to fear the Lord is the only path of life. Brings us to the third and final point of the sermon that is, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Proverbs 10 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Proverbs 14 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning people away from the snares of death. Proverbs 22 4. Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. My friends, the the book of Proverbs, really the, the Bible overall, present the right fear of the Lord as a blessing in the life of the Christian. It is unmistakably a good thing to have a right fear of the Lord. But again, as I've reminded you so often during our study through Proverbs, Proverbs are not promises. Neither the the Proverbs or the rest of the Bible promises wealth and honor in this world to those who love and fear the Lord. In fact, we could go through an endless list of those like Polycarp who died because of their fear for the Lord, who suffered because of their fear for the Lord, who experienced great loss because of their fear for the Lord. 
And friends, if you turn to Christianity simply because you think it will bring you earthly blessings, well, that is no true fear of the Lord. It's simply a different pathway to pursue the earthly blessings that your heart truly loves. It's simply idolatry disguised. It's simply idolatry disguised as a fear of the Lord. And friends, God does not promise health and wealth on this earth to those who fear him. But the Bible does promise spiritual riches and spiritual health to those who fear him. And friends, spiritual treasures is the promise of the Bible. And notice all those, those proverbs that I just read promise life as one of the blessings of the fear of the Lord, or mention life, I should say, as one of the blessings of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord results in wealth, honor, and life. And now again, that doesn't mean everyone who fears the Lord is going to enjoy a long life. You could point to a long list of young martyrs, a long list of faithful Christians who have died young because of cancer. And those things were not because they lacked faith. What Proverbs and what the Bible ultimately points to is that the fear of the Lord brings eternal life. It brings everlasting life. And Jesus is a fountain of living water. Friends, the Bible makes no promise of earthly treasure, but it does promise heavenly reward to all those who fear the Lord. And that heavenly treasure, that heavenly reward is Jesus himself. The reward of, of heaven is the reward of an eternity spent in the presence of your great and magnificent God, your creator, your redeemer, your father, and your friend. Friends, a right fear of the Lord delights to be in the presence of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 2, the, the prophet Isaiah prophesies about the future day of the Lord, which is to say the day that Jesus will return in judgment. This is what Isaiah writes about those who do not know the Lord on that day. He says that people will go into caves in the rocks and holes in the ground away from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor. Friends, those who do not know the Lord on that day of the Lord will flee in terror because they rejected God's mercy and love freely offered in Jesus Christ. They will be terrified of God's terrible judgment and they will be right to be terrified but hiding in caves and, and hiding in under rocks will, will not save them. Friends, the, the only path to salvation is to repent, to turn from your evil ways, and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure you've done that, if maybe your view of God is that, that view that Martin Luther had of God before his conversion, just a dread of God, of trying to live up to his standards. Friends, if you're not sure you're a Christian or if you truly fear the Lord, let me encourage you to turn from your evil ways today. Friends, that starts by repenting, confessing your sins to the Lord, and placing your faith in Jesus Christ to say that, Jesus, I am unable to save myself. There is nothing I can do. The only thing I can do is submit to your sovereign authority to plead for your grace and rely on Jesus who died in my place on the cross. Friends, plead with the Lord that he might change your heart to give you new affections to give you a new love, to grow you in a fear of him. Friends, it's a fear of the Lord that leads to life. The only path to everlasting life is to fear the Lord. But Christian, as, as terrifying as the day of the Lord will be for those who do not know him, on the other side, the Bible consistently encourages Christians to look forward to the day of the Lord. 
to look forward to the coming of the Lord. And we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper in eager expectation of Jesus coming again. And for Christians, it will be a day of rejoicing. It will not be a day of terror. It's on that day that we'll experience the fullness of the love of God. We'll be in his presence. We'll receive our reward. And brothers and sisters, this is a future hope. Christianity is a, is a religion of future hope. We are to set our hope completely on the grace to be brought, that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But friends, that future hope has present benefits. Those who fear the Lord look forward in confident and assured hope. Because, uh, and because of that, because Christians are those who look forward in confident and assured hope, knowing that Jesus will come again, that they will go to be with him in glory, because they have that confident and assured hope, They are secure and content in whatever today might bring. Their future is secure, so they are confident and content in whatever today or tomorrow might bring. The fear of the Lord brings security today. The fear of the Lord brings peace today. It brings joy today. It brings humility today. The fear of the Lord brings contentment today. To go back to to Michael Reeves one last time, he writes this. As a whole, we are an increasingly anxious and uncertain culture. Now, at this point, he's writing about the United States particularly, but I think what he writes about is pretty broadly applicable to our world today. As a whole, we are an increasingly anxious and uncertain culture. And therein is an extraordinary paradox. For we live more safely than ever before. Though we are safer than almost any other society or time in history, Protected like never before, we are skittish and panicky like never before. Uh, Friends, hasn't two years of the COVID pandemic brought home that truth? He goes on to write, how can this be? Quite simply, our culture has lost God as the proper object of fear. The loss of the fear of God is what has ushered in our age of anxiety. But the fear of God is the very antidote to our fretfulness. My friends, what is he saying? That when we do not fear the Lord, which is to say that we do not trust in the Lord, other fears will simply replace the fear of the Lord. There's another fear, there's another love that is just ready to step in. Sin is crouching at the door. Friends, you will find yourself anxious, constantly worried about what tomorrow may hold if you do not fear the Lord. But the fear of the Lord brings true security because those who fear the Lord are confident and assured of what their future holds. They can echo the words of David from Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? They hold on to the promise of Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Friends, as that wonderful hymn, Great as Thy Faithfulness Proclaims, God God himself is our strength for today and our bright hope for tomorrow. Friends, he is the, the hope and the strength for all those who fear him. Friends, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Let's pray.